Hello, and welcome to the very first ever inaugural, the beginning, the first step of a thousand step journey or whatever. A thousand uh, episode ep journey. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> you want to set it at a thousand right now? Um, <laughs> of the Deathless Neverborn podcast. That's the name of it. Deathless it is. Neverborn. We agreed on that. Yes, absolutely. I think it's a great name, especially because I didn't come up with it. So. I love it. And that's how I kind of wanted to start was you, Jason. I am Jason it's, Traeger. It, yes, exactly. And I'm Brian Gathy. And I wanted to to begin the show just, just at the top before we get in with you just briefly saying why Deathless Neverborn. That's what we are. That's our true nature, as far as I can tell. All we ever experience is this eternal moment. You know, that's, that's the, the whole of our experience. Death, birth are always ideas in the imagination. You know, you go to sleep at night, you disappear and you have dreams. You're a dream person. Then you wake up and you're back in this, but it's always, you know, anytime you notice it, it's the deathless, never born state. That's what we actually are in my experience. No, I love it. And I have no qualms with that. I'm not going to. It this sounds isn't kind be of a... metal. <laughs> it does. It does. And no, I love the eternal sound of it, but it does sound kind of, it's got a, it doesn't sound too uh, new agey, too woo woo. It, it's nice because it, yeah, death is, uh, is something that people don't like to talk about unless, like you said, they're a metal band, but uh, yeah. And there is no death. There is no birth. There's only this moment, the uh, ever-present present, whether that's when you're in your car, when you're in line, when you're doing a podcast, when you're in the bathroom, etc. Uh, I love the idea. And do we have a mission? What do you think? Well, I was thinking about podcast? that. You know, I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, I am totally beginner's mind. I'm not a master of any of this. I I, I am 100% looking at this podcast as just a sort of, I want to learn. Yeah. You know, well, good. you're with the right person because I am a master. <laughs> Thank you. Good. And, and I'm here to teach all my children. No. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I actually was thinking of that before we started today. I'm like, the thought that often comes up. When, if I'm going on stage to play music, if I'm giving a talk, if I'm doing a podcast, it's like, who am I to do this? But why not? Yeah, I'm no expert either. I've done some things in my life that are good. I've done some things I regret. And I'm, hopefully we'll explore a lot of that area. And the song that came bounding into my head when I was thinking about this this afternoon was the uh, Operation Ivy song. All I know is that I don't know that I couldn't say it better. Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of what wisdom is. It's just knowing that you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's the wisest thing. Absolutely. And so how, uh, no, I think that's enough. Never mind. I was going to ask if we we're going to consciously connect it to our underground community. But I don't think we even need to. I think it's to just even hard. bring it's just, that up because it'll yeah, it'll it's kind of it'll be what it's going to be. It. 
Yeah, exactly. I think we can't help, but that's what's informed us and been important in our lives. You're right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how, you know, my podcast, the Traeger Method podcast. And and right now I'd also like to acknowledge that this is awkward for me, like doing a podcast where I'm not the host. That's all I've ever done. I've never <laughs> been yeah. on a dual conversational podcast where like I'm not explicitly the interviewer. Welcome to duality, my friend. We're in the duality. Um, and and I also find, you know, sort of like getting into this stuff, there's always a part of me that's, that has this feeling of what is there to say about any of this? I, I should just be silent and just listen to someone else. Um, I think that's a really interesting point, a really interesting take because... I think everyone can relate to that to some degree. A lot of people anyway, I can. And I know plenty of people who feel the same. You know, you, before punk gave license to uh, teenage kids in, in suburbia and inner city to pick up guitar and write songs and, and sing their, their hearts out, even if they couldn't sing or play guitar, you know, it, before that it was like, who am I to do this? I'm not, you know, X, Y, or Z. And also same with, I found myself at many many spiritual retreats and uh, events where I 100% shut up and just want to absorb. And partially, because I, I think it is part a partial hum humility, but I also think there's something else there, some ego protection, some uh, fear of being exposed for the idiot and asshole that you are, at least yeah, for me. That, that's and an <laughs> element of it for sure. You know, we, like you and I just met, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we've never met in person recently. I mean, we've never been in, in person, but we had our first ever conversation. <laughs> yeah, right. We did a kind of warm up Zoom conversation. And when I went back and listened to it, I had possession of that uh, recording. And I listened to myself speaking. I was like, oh my God, I just sound like some rambling, I don't, not idiot, but I don't, just a very disordered mind. And I was like, you know, I don't want to sound like that. I want to sound like Pema Chodron uh -huh. or, you know, yeah, sure. some sort of t really together. Do you know who Rupert Spira is? The non-duality teacher. I don't. I mean, it vaguely sounds familiar, but no, I, I would a be. a big YouTube presence and okay. he's, he's one of the main kind of popular people who speaks about Advaita non-dualism. And he speaks so clearly and he pauses you know person will ask him a question and he'll pause for an almost uncomfortable and it's not uncomfortable though it's just you know because he's he's not speaking from a rote uh yeah you know a bunch of memorized things obviously he says the same things many times but he will think carefully then he will speak very very clearly and i'm like going i want to talk like that i want to sound like him but then i listen to it and it's like me going like and um and you know and blah 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 and blah 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 and i'm just going quit saying blah 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 quit saying like oh, um sure. and you know that's why i insisted on uh, editing this episode because <laughs> i have control of the oz and you sounded <laughs> great in our conversation it was all me i was just like it's not really what i sound like and i'm not talking about the quality of my voice I'm talking about mm -hmm. the way my thoughts were coming out and that so I feel this right now. I'm I do have a artificial or what what do you want to call it? 
I feel cautious. I feel reserved. I feel which is little, perfect for a podcast. It's just totally perfect, right? <laughs> and also you and I don't have some long-term, you know, we're not like old friends that have this rapport and you know exactly where I'm coming from and I know exactly where you're coming from. You know, we met through our mutual friend, Nikki Thomas. Mm-hmm. And amazing human being. Yeah. And I know your work and you know mine somewhat. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we have a sense of who we are. We have a, we're part of a community that, you know, we have many, many mutual friends and this shared general you know, relationships to say punk for instance yeah. uh, an, an ecology culture. of thought uh thereby right and we both have this interest in what would you want to call it the spiritual path yeah i mean i was also this afternoon desperately searching for a, like a, a more satisfactory word than spiritual right for myself to speak about it and i i haven't found it yet i which goes to my occasional lapses of articulation too. It, you know, I know what I mean, and I I don't have the the language to uh, get it out the way I feel it occasionally. And the lack of a better word than spiritual is is an example of that. I love that we're beginning our podcast by uh, being like, you know what, you know, we're not very good at talking, and <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy this. Tune in next week. It gets worse. <laughs> yeah. We get monosyllabic. Well, I mean, one thing that that I feel like is the foundation is or one of the foundations of this work and the approach to quote unquote the spiritual path, for lack of a better term. Not that there needs to be a better term, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is is that vulnerability and truthfulness. Well, truth. I mean, that's that's what it yeah. all. I guess that's what the we're seeking the, the unflinching light thereof, right? Which you know can can shine your you know you as a personality complex's most redeeming and beautiful qualities, but can also shine light on your shadows and your your sticky matter that you've got stuck up in with you know in the other side of your being. And I, I hope that we really cover all of it because you don't get to the good stuff without the manure. You know, that's what right. the lotus leaf in uh, Buddhist culture is all about because lotuses grow in the, the bogs, you know, and right. it's out of that stuff that this that transformation happens. That, the magic mushroom often grows on right. piles yeah. of shit. Exactly. And I was thinking also, you start where you are. Like with it, anything you do, whether it's meditation, exercise, a journey, a podcast, there always has to be the first episode and that, and yeah. just embrace. Embrace the just, awkwardness. We, we are here embracing <laughs> it for what it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. I And having said that, even on my most recently started podcast, which was probably less than a couple months ago, aside from this one. There's no way in hell you can, it would be CIA torture to put strap headphones on me and force me to listen over and over to my first couple podcasts of any of my stuff. Oh yeah. Sometimes people will, my podcast, the Traeger Method podcast, sometimes people will tell me that, you know, I started listening. Then I went back to the beginning because I wanted to listen from the, from the beginning. (laughs) And I'm always like, oh God, really? Are you, you're really going to start at episode number one? I don't even want to think about that. Oh yeah. It's always on to the next one, on to the next one. I know. And what is that too? Because 
I've noticed I've gotten way better about it in general, but musicians are that way too with, oh, yeah, that record was good. Thanks for saying that. Or that show was good, but you got to hear us do this thing. We just wrote this one that's even better than anything you heard. You know, it's it's always about right now. Don't worry about what happened then. Thank you. But, you know, the real stuff's right now. Well, <laughs> and then because... a couple of weeks later, the, the, the yeah. real thing is the, the next thing. Right. I think that speaks to the the idea we have, you know, we're talking about at the very beginning about Deathless Never Born, that all we have is this now. And so that's the place where we want to be. And that's where we want to focus attention. And going back through the archives is not necessarily, you know, I'm changing all the time. I always feel like, oh mm -hmm. God, who I was then, it's already completely just a non-existent, that person doesn't exist. Yeah. It almost literally was another life. I think about that often. And the only thread through, the only thing that I can appreciate, especially doing the Discord podcast, is retracing these huge, huge monumental signposts of records and, and shows in my life and not in a good old days, uh, you know, glory days way, you know, not in a way that happens as you for many people as they get older of like, oh yeah, this stuff doesn't touch whatever was I was into when I was a teenager. Not in that way, but in a way of reconnecting to the initial impulse that got me where I am right now, that got me on this path. And what was that signal and, and how to make it clear, how to tune it in even brighter, even stronger. So it's not about the things that grabbed me then or the triggers it's about the signal itself and, and reminding myself the reminder that's that that's the thing the re-mindfulness yeah because i hate nostalgia i'm so anti-nostalgia i feel that same way and it's funny because i you know i do a podcast that often talks about things that happened 40 years ago uh -huh. <laughs> and it could seem like i i'm a very nostalgic person but it's not that because I'm, and even with my relationship to punk, I'm not a person who's, you know, going to see all the old punk bands and going to the punk festivals and things like that. I don't really have much interest in any of that. Um, but I'm interested in history and mm -hmm. I'm interested in oral history. And so that's where I, and, and I'm interested in reconnecting with people that I've known and, uh, you know, cross-referencing histories like in the in my podcast but yeah it's, i don't think it's nostalgia i don't think that qualifies as nostalgia because i'm not saying oh those were the good old days mm -hmm. although of course there were some things that i think back very fondly about of course yeah. but you know we yeah. live now yeah yeah i mean of course it, there's nothing wrong with with place and value and uh love for connections and for uh heightened moments of the past that again, are to me feel like signposts and, and movie previews of what could be of potential of what is possible. And of, when you're that age, I don't know about you, but for me, I thought as a teenager, early 20s, etc., person, I thought, well, if I'm lucky enough, if I'm still alive in my 50s, it'll be, uh, I'll either figure it out or I'll be dead. And, you know, one or the other. And of course, that's not the ever the way. 
you know, you're still just bumping into things and fumbling along and having moments of grace and then falling into another pile of shit, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've heard the uh, idea that progress isn't linear, that it's like a spiral. You return to different things throughout your life, different, I don't know, thought clusters and styles of thinking or being, but you find yourself changed eventually at different times that, that you experience these things in different ways. And I've definitely experienced that in my life. Yeah. I mean, I do feel like really in my fifties, I've had the biggest kind of shift and that, that that's, that's, I think also a driving force in wanting to share the things that I've learned that have helped me so much Right. that I would call my spiritual path. Yeah. That's so let's, go a little more into that and start with, if you don't mind, maybe start with the opposite of the things that you found. What made you search for those things? What was it in you? Either what happened or what didn't happen that put you in desperate need or in any need of said uh, path? Well, I'd say from a very young age, I was always drawn to it just baked into me a um, love of the mysterious, the otherworldly. I was always, as a child, very, very interested in elves and fairies and the idea of spirits and sprites like in the woods. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. Mm. I spent a lot of time in a band of woods that was around the back of our house in suburban Seattle area. And I always had this sense of tree sprites and spirits. And I wanted so badly to to see elves and fairies and things like that. I wasn't, I didn't grow up on a street with a bunch of kids. You know, I just had a couple of girls live next door who were our age and I was really good friends with one of them. And we spent most of our time just pretending it wasn't like we were playing stickball with the gang or whatever, you know, it was very much uh, a world of imagination. It was mm -hmm. fostered uh, by my mom in particular. So I always had that. And then when I was, became a teenager, you know, in punk and stuff, the idealism was, was, it was always front and center to me, this sense of justice and higher purpose. I was, you know, very idealistic. I still am. I, I, I was always about like, all that matters is being good to each other, you know, and this sense of like, when you became whatever, when I became, you know, 13 or something, I think that's what drew me to punk was this sense of, oh my God, when you start to understand the society you live in a little bit and its values, being, you know, America, just being like, oh my God, I'm so out of, I do not like this. This is not the, 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 uh, it does not feel right. Yeah. And seeing those alternatives, you, you're and not finding stuck with only yeah. that, that right. route. Yeah. And I wasn't raised in a religious tradition. I come from, you know, Irish Catholic, uh, German, Irish Catholic, uh, background, but I wasn't actually in it. My parents got divorced when I was four. So I wasn't confirmed. I was only, you know, baptized in the Catholic church. So, but all my peripheral family members were religious. So I always was exposed to Catholicism, but it was always as an outsider, you know, watching my cousins all get communion where I, while I sat there and being, yeah, that outsider thing. So, you know, organized religion wasn't a um, thing I was indoctrinated into. So I had that. And my mom was kind of a new age before that term existed, you know, seeker kind of person. So I was always interested in that sort of thing. And then as I became like a, you know, into my teens and stuff, well, I just, I, you know, I found psychedelics around my late teens, uh, magic mushrooms in particular, and that was revelatory for me. It was 
very, very revelatory. It was kind of the set the course on my, for my life in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, and at that time it became very clear to me that, you know, I, I saw that love is the only thing that matters. It's the most important thing there is. It's the only thing that has any real value is love. Like that is, and what is it? And at the time, you know, so I had that sense then, but the journey to get to where I am today was one of tremendous pain and difficulty and challenge and torment in many ways. Like much of the time, it was just a deeply unpleasant journey with moments of uh, great bliss and satisfaction, usually involving taking psychedelics. So for you, would you say it was towards the end of teens, into 20s, that you kind of uh, ran into the deep pool of suffering that's uh, baked into existence? I think I always had it in my life because, you know, like when my, I I think often of my initial trauma being like my parents' divorce and my Mm -hmm. mom moved out um, and we lived with our dad. And I think that was the, I was four years old. And I think that was for me, the defining trauma of my life that gave me this idea of, well, it just gave me a, you know, tra- what trauma gives you, you know, you, you yeah. can't sort it out as a child. It, it, it affects no, you and in you ways can barely that, understand it. Yeah. You can't understand it. And I can't even, you know, and there was no therapy or anything. I don't know what, you know, you just, you go out and live. So I think there was always some sense in me that was scared, I guess. Um, and I, I think one of the defining qualities of my personality, a lot of times was a combination of deep self-hatred and buoyed by a kind of self-aggrandizing mm-hmm. um like i'm i have to be a christ-like figure i need to um or or like that's i want to give everything i'm ready to just die to be i don't know but then all the way i was just trying to get my ego satisfied at the same time you know just that that back and forth of um i want to be famous for being selfless uh-huh. yeah <laughs> you know that was kind of a defining quality of 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 me, especially later in the, in the psychedelic years. Sure. Um, but, you know, in, in my heart of hearts, I was very, very genuine. I've always been genuine. Well, yeah. I mean, and I get that. I, I, from the conversations we've had and also from, you know, uh, all the shows I've heard of years, but, and from your old writings, but I see that as two side, two of the extreme poles that, that we uh, go back and forth between, especially when we're trying to figure life out as young people pumping ourselves up and being so full of self-belief, you know, almost high on our own supply kind of thing. And then the opposite side of just like crushing, like uh, self-criticism and self-hatred, like you said, like. Yeah, it wasn't ever easy. And it was nothing was ever easy in in my own, uh, for myself. I mean, not that the world was giving me tons of problems, but uh, my own, yeah, sense of myself was just, oh my God, so torturous to try Mm. and do anything. Um, and were you aware when your parents uh, divorced, what was going on? What was your, cause I, I know. my parents got divorced a number of years later than that, about six or seven or eight, perhaps well, about six or seven past that. And even for me, it was, I knew what was going on, but I couldn't fully process it. It came out in other ways. Yeah. So I can't imagine it for. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't even really know. I've just, just like my sense of my childhood and, and again, even like talking about my teen years and stuff to say, I was so tormented. I wasn't all the time. I mean, if you saw, of course. we played a video game or a video of me from that era, you'd see me laughing with my friends, hanging out, running around. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And right. and that's just as real as the other right. stuff. It's not yeah. like, yeah, nobody's just a tormented artist right. or just a, of course. you know, happy-go-lucky. There's no such thing as a right. one, one switch person. Like they're only tuned to pure happiness or pure right. misery, you know? Yeah. And, and that's absolutely true. But, you know, for a long time, when I thought about my childhood, I always thought of it as just a depressing, sad you know, gray North, my, my image of it was always like a sad gray Northwest, you know, isolated or, you know, that was like the image I had of my childhood, but of course that wasn't at all, all that it was by any means, but that was kind of my image of it. And I yeah, think that when, all comes when you from would replay the real in your head. That's what you would say. Yeah, exactly. And very, uh, very, a uh, common seventies kind of, uh, vibe. Yeah, and so in many many ways, I just felt like, yeah, I think I was searching for some way to either die. You know, that was kind of like my hope was that I would die. Oh wow! Just okay. be done with, just be done with the world. I could never figure it out. I always felt like I either really want to live, and meaning I want a big life and I want to achieve all these huge things, or I just want to die. And most of the time, I just I just kind of had that feeling like. Life is so painful. It, at best, it's 50-50 pleasure and pain. What's the point? Also being, you know, relatively intelligent. Like I could not like I'm some brilliant person by any stretch, but you know, reasonably intelligent. I could like look at things and go, well, what's the point of any of this? Mm -hmm. Like if there's so much pain, why does it even have to be? Aren't right. we just wouldn't it be just as good if there it never like the ideal thing would be to have never been born, mm -hmm. you know? Which goes to the <laughs> <laughs> the title, but that's kind of, yeah, that was kind of my feeling was like, well, the best case scenario would be to never be born. Then I wouldn't have to worry about any of this stuff. It just wouldn't ever have existed. And, mm -hmm. but here I am. So what do I do? You know? Yeah. Well, that's a profound statement right there. Here I am. So what do I do? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the beginning of the hero's journey for anybody. And yeah, yeah that's wild. Cause for me, as a child, I relate to a lot of what you just said. And I was an only child. So a lot of time in my imagination and exploring out, you know, in the woods or by the railroad tracks by my house, et cetera, too. But I think with some of the trauma I had that we talked about on your show, I had a lot of, especially in retrospect, but even then, part of me really knew like some serious, serious danger in my life from adults from you know I, I you know i definitely learned i should rephrase that i was going to say i thought i learned to not trust you know the straight adult world because on the surface you know it was a 70s version of leave it to beaver or whatever but underneath was this festering mess of sexual predators and drug addiction and ugly selfish self-destructive and other destructive behavior i had no desire to engage in that or to to turn into that but on the other hand i didn't crave death i romanticized it as i got older like into my early teens the kind of romantic poet type of uh vibe of thing but i 
you know, I, if anything, I was deathly afraid of death. So like I would sometimes take hours to fall asleep at night as a kid because I'd be afraid that I wouldn't wake up, which is, I don't know if I had to really push what that is. I think it, there was something in me that refused to believe that this is all there is in this world. And I had to get another day out of the world to find whatever it is that's redemptive and, and true and real in the world. And of course, I, you, you don't articulate or put it that way to yourself as a you know preteen or even teen. But yeah, that was something for me. And imagination, creativity, and weirdly, I guess, idealistic political action as a very young teen, like became beacons, as well as punk rock, of course, and literature, certain literature. That Those were the things I found sustenance in and found like, okay, if I take a thread from this, a patch from that, you know, a scrap over here, maybe I can sew something together out of life and make something bearable and to where I avoid the pain I've already gone through, repeating it and to find a more noble and ennobling a life where I could leave something to the world as opposed to uh, being a victim one or or just taking from the world. There had to be another way. Yeah. Yeah, I felt a strong sense of needing to justify my existence through creating art. I mean, in my teenage years, I feel like we're in the early punk years, I was so socially satisfied by being in the punk scene, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm talking 13 to 17 or 18, you know, I, I found that those really vital teenage years where you're running around with people and every day we were going to do stuff and, you know, I'm completely immersed in this subculture and that gave me a real, um, yeah, real happiness and a, a sense of purpose and, you know, just, you're just running around. It's An agency, a right? Action. Yeah. A agency social connection. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, you know, I, I was, I started drinking like pretty seriously whenever I could, when I was about 12 or 13. And, you know, that's, that's a big part of the story too, is, uh, mm -hmm. substances, you know, and the, the early punk years for me, like I'm talking the early, early years, 82, 83, yeah. you know, alcohol was just a big part of the whole thing for me. It was like going to see shows meant you tried to get alcohol, you tried to, you know, if you went to hang out on University Avenue, I lived in Seattle near area, Tacoma, you know, you'd try to get beer and it was always about trying to get a buzz and punk, you know. Right. Trying to get I, that, that jacked up energy. Yeah. And, and empowerment and chaotic, whatever. Release the coolness, punk, the but, confidence. But yeah, yeah the cool, <laughs> there also was the coolness and the, like you said, the rebel chic and alcohol yeah. could be, and especially when you're that young for me as well was. And that was one uh, skateboarding was big part of it too for me. And it, the, all my initial friends started mentioning this thing called stridge and making fun of it. And once I heard it, I was like, wow, why this is, you guys are it. These, you guys are fools. This makes sense to me. People act stupid when they're drunk. I act stupid when I'm drunk. Guys act, you know, extra ugly masculine when they're drunk. And I don't want any part of that. Not that I didn't, as I got into my later teen years, is just like you, find just world-changing, world-opening, still to this day unlocking mysteries from psychedelics as well. So, But that I don't consider that anywhere close to 
the same oh, ballpark no, as alcohol yeah. or even pot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And for me, uh, I, cause in the Seattle scene that I was involved in, in the early eighties, very early eighties, I didn't know anything about straight edge. Nobody, there was no influence of that in that scene that I knew of. It was very much a drug drinking kind of Pacific Northwest pre grunge kind of vibe. You know, you'd see, yeah, people using hard drugs in the bathroom at shows and, you know, and everybody drank or that I knew of a lot of street kids and stuff like that. I kind of aspired. I, I kind of was a um, aspired to be a homeless street kid. You know, a couple of my friends did become street kids and I thought, Oh, it's so cool. They're free. Mm. They live, you know, they're granted. like Kerouac, uh, yeah. punk rock. And really, they were like hustling on the street and stuff yeah. and not something I would have wanted yeah. to do. But, you know, I, I romanticized it and stuff. But my, a big saving grace for me was moving to San Diego in 83 because I my best friends became Martin Sprouse and Pat Weakland. And they we did a fanzine together. Those guys were totally straight edge. They That was their whole scene. So I just, being a teen, that was my new cohort adopted the same style. And so I just put aside the drinking completely because that wasn't part of our social thing. And that was so good for me that 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 stopped like at age 14. What perfect timing, right? Yeah, perfect. Because then my, you know, all those teen years that we drove around the greater Southern California area all day and night going to see punk shows and stuff, you couldn't have done any of that stuff if we had been scoring like six packs everywhere and you know what i mean so that was a a major uh a very good thing for me um and it wasn't until yeah my later very late teens 18 19 that uh, i started drinking again like when i moved to san francisco and got mm-hmm. into uh that kind of scene with a lot of older people and that was very much back into that alcohol was a huge part of the san francisco years for sure but also psychedelics came in there interesting yeah I hope at some point to do a show specifically about uh, substances, what they mean, what all the different ones mean to oh, us yeah. and, and how they affect cultures and our subcultures, et cetera, and ourselves with those. And and weirdly, as a teen, I was such a, not torture, but such a divided soul in some ways because I was so drawn to 60s culture as much as punk rock culture mm-hmm the liberatory aspects of it, both literally in the politicized aspect, but also the psychedelics, et cetera, and uh, experiments in uh, utopian lifestyles. But, you know, I was in this scene and I was just as drawn to complete, utter sobriety and no need for anything to alter your, your mindset. You're in control of it and you don't need an excuse to quote unquote, expand your mind or to avoid something you don't want to experience in reality or heighten your weekend by doing this or that. So I was pinballing back and forth many years between being completely straight edge. And then I would go deep into, uh, you know, mostly uh, acid and, and mushrooms and that sort of thing. And But it was hard trying to define my so-called uh, identity at the time. It was really hard because I believe so firmly in both camps, like equally. And especially, I guess, the main thing being not to do anything to escape reality. If anything, psychedelics help expose reality, help clarify, help you get honest with your own thing, your own uh, makeup, and also connect you with the wider wonder of the world around you and the spirit 
that that imbibes everything. So, you know, I've always had that dichotomy also at the same time. I was incredibly drawn to nonviolence. On the other hand, I was also drawn to, I wouldn't say violent, but groups that weren't opposed to violence as revolutionary groups at the time. And it was hard to figure that out or to put myself theoretically in different situations. Okay, would it be okay to fight in this situation? What about this situation? What if this person was in peril? You know, not just you or this, you know. So, you know, I was was kind of uh, having all these imaginary uh, debates in my head all the time as a teen. Yeah, there's so much to work out when you you know, you're a teenager getting into the world and seeing it. So you got these ideals, but then there's like a bunch of Nazi skinheads at the show and you're like, yeah. well, you can't just love them. You know, <laughs> somebody has to like fight against them, you know, and we see, yeah. And just seeing the world, understanding war, what living in the American empire. Going well, on. I mean, I'll, I'll say I, on the first account, the substance, I, I've definitely have come to a, a very, clear personal philosophy on that side but on the violence nonviolence, it's still pretty murky for me honestly i i tend to just as with a band like fugazi in the punk scene i feel like gandhi mlk etc dalai lama uh, these figures that they exist at all is proof that you don't have to play the game of the oppressor whether it's a single oppressor or a governmental or you know, whatever you don't, you know, that you can't win that game. But at the same time, like I said, if, if someone's trying to hurt or God forbid rape or whatever, you name it, any of my family, any of my friends, I'm not just going to be like, Hey guys, stop it. Let's, let's work this out or, or just lay down in front of them. So they'll have to go through me to, you know, it's murky, but you know, I think it's these kind of things are important questions, but I think they are questions like the the higher nature. If there is a spiritual path, I don't know any spiritual path that makes any sense to me that says it's okay to like, whatever, to poke the other eye out, you know, whatever right. <laughs> biblical thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I feel like you can take, I mean, ultimately, I think I guess whatever I've did is the idea that, you know, you commit self-defense without hate in your heart ideally right. having, having yeah. some compassion for the person because they're obviously the enemy is deluded yeah you know? yeah and they're suffering so, but it doesn't mean yeah you don't but they're still don't. causing harm right so it's yeah. like yeah so it's it causes less harm to to kill mm. them or restrain them in some way well and w- something that brought that immediately to the present for me was on the uh, a recent episode of end on end we talked about how a long time scene activist writer in the punk scene uh jen angel mm-hmm. who like blocks from where my band practices uh was murdered in a robbery and post that a group of the her anarchist uh friends and associates her family all these folks uh wrote a really touching letter saying that she wouldn't believe in the justice system just locking them away or or put you know put him to death for sure much less the penal system that she doesn't believe in it and so wouldn't want that type of consequence of her death even that she believed in restorative uh, justice and you know redemption if at all possible and that's so moving to me yeah the, the desire for revenge is certainly a uh, a low <laughs> it's a, it's low hanging a pr- fruit pretty right? low value yeah 
Yeah. Sorry. So we've gone astray from our initial growing up conversation uh, and finding our way to a spiritual path. So for you, am I right? It sounds like both the sense of otherness, the the sense of mystery and wonder that you found in nature and then the... Uh, Childhood wonder. Yeah. It, it, I, you could roughly break down my bio, the, the <laughs> super imaginative childhood full of the good side of it was the wonder, the imagination. I always had this sense of, yeah, the mystery, yeah, um, like many kids. Um, and then, yeah, the disillusionment of early teen years. Oh my God, I'm going into this world of puberty and uh, ch- childhood things need to be put away. And now mm-hmm. the world is shitty and horrible. Uh, that was kind of my early teens. And then I discover punk. I get this social circle, this creative outlet, this uh, all-encompassing subculture, friend group, all that stuff. And that's awesome. Then the later teen years, it's back to kind of uh, essentially rediscovering, reconnecting with that childhood sense of wonder through psychedelics. When yeah. I first encountered mushrooms, I was like, and and I can't even say, you know, you can't judge your own history and say, if it was a net good thing or bad thing, you know, cause sometimes I look back and I think, you know, what would my life have been if I hadn't found psychedelics then, you know, I can't, I can't just say that mushrooms, w- that it was good or bad necessarily. It's just what I, what was, what I was and what I was interested in, but I found it so revelatory and just the sheer wonder and beauty and mystery. And I couldn't believe that something like that existed. It would just blew me away. It was kind of like, oh, I found the elves that I always thought existed. Right, right. You know, that was my feeling. And, and how do people go their whole lives without experiencing or how is the whole world not talking about it? this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, like how is and granted, I lived, I mean, literally, I I I got the mushrooms experience in upper hate near the panhandle of Golden Gate Park, you know. So I'm uh-huh. I'm in the psychedelic center and culturally of probably the United yeah. States, one of the psychedelic centers. Of the ground world. zero yeah yeah i mean Originally. what's more archetypal than tripping in golden gate park walking around uh-huh. but even then i was very surprised because i'd look around at the hippie culture and the look of it and the tie-dye shirts and the drippy droopy graphics and whatnot and i was like this doesn't look like what mushrooms feel like to me mm. you know i'm seeing these incredibly perfect geometrical things yeah. and these precise kind of it just didn't look like the graphics I saw all around me. I, I didn't see that expressed. I don't see but, these dancing bears. <laughs> yeah, I don't see the dancing bears. I'm seeing these otherworldly, but it's it's such a you know huge thing. So Terrence McKenna was a huge uh, guide for me in that time because there wasn't, of course, the internet. Yeah. Um, and even being in like the Haight-Ashbury area, you know, there's only so many books about any of these subjects that you oh, can God. find. Oh, yeah. God. People don't know. Yeah. Now there's libraries full. But yes. the- oh, it's... I mean, it was like a, a dozen, yeah. maybe a couple dozen tops at that point. Yeah. And most um, of them written in the 60s. Right. Know? So Terrence McKenna, you know, I'd find tapes, cassette tapes of his talks and things. And and his books were big for me, you know, uh, Invisible Landscape. What were uh-huh. they called? Um, yeah. Uh, Archive, uh, the, what you call it? Uh, Food of the Gods. Wasn't that Food of the Gods, no. yeah. Um, the Archaic uh, Revival. The Archaic Revival. That's yeah. the one I'm thinking about. Um, that one, all the ones that came out in the nineties, um, late eighties, early nineties. And so he was a big guide to the, so he kind of set my, once I had done my walking around golden gate park, looking at things and having this 
incredible rebirth of my childhood imagination. Then I started getting into his style where he's like, you know, sleep mask, five dried grams, <laughs> silent darkness, or uh -huh. just a fan going. And that's when I just went, okay, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to just get the messages from this, bring them to the world. And that's where, you know, as many young people exposed to psychedelics do, I had this sense of I'm touched in some way, you know, this is yeah. giving me this vision that I have to share with the world. I have to make it's this... a religious experience, you know, absolutely for lack of a bit, lack absolutely. of a better word. I mean, one of the true religious experiences, epiphanies. And so then that led me, yeah, on a, I mean, it really affected my whole entire sense of my mission in life. And I just didn't care if I, about anything, but yeah, figuring out a way to get this across. And I thought, you know, music, art, you know, the things I was already interested in, surely I can turn these into, uh, yeah, I can, I, I can be a, um, yeah. Emissary for the. Emissary for this, for this thing. I, I'm touched. The current of the mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I, it's so like I was saying, I don't see that, that it certainly didn't solve all my problems by any stretch. Yeah. It certainly didn't make me a happy person. Um, what about the, the first times when you're young and you're still in that state of Satori that you feel post even taking a psychedelic and you're you're back to normal, but you still feel elevated and you're walking around like, okay, I can do this. Like I see the world clearly. And then the oh, first yeah. going from that to the next moment of having a shitty day at work all of a sudden again, or this or that, and be like, oh, damn it it didn't work. You know, it didn't solve all this stuff, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I think of that, those primary years, I can't really remember, you know, the ups and downs associated with it, but in general, it was more just, my feeling was like, I need to do this like once a week mm. or something like that as much as I can. And I mm -hmm. need to really just bring back writing and music and things from it that I can share. Um, and if I just do it enough, it will, that will all happen. And there's a sense of destiny in there, you know, um, mm -hmm. and this feeling like until I produce some really meaningful uh, art, I'm not going to die because I'm destined to share these things. So my life wouldn't have no meaning. So, and you get, you know, mushrooms and psychedelics will, will tell you things that you sort of take as God talking to you you know um especially as a young person i mean again i you don't really have the the experience or nuance to be able to to understand how the messages what they mean mm -hmm. how to integrate them into your life without going kind of uh, into these grandiose or i don't know, to to not take it as God giving you a message of what to do, you know, everything. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering it. if you were going in that direction, because I've known so many folks that can get something so relevatory from it, but yes, go too far into that direction and, and think that I am this special person because I got this message from the substance, whatever it is. And now my job is to enlighten everyone or to help whatever it may be. And yeah, just to share it somehow and, and let people know. I mean, all, and that all comes from a good place. It wasn't like no, I was of a course, megalomaniac or anything, you know, but, um, or a complete, you know, mental ego leader. trip or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I, still, I mean, I'm a young guy and I don't know how to figure it all out. I have all these insecurities. I'm, 
you know, and I also think, you know, in some ways, the dark side of it, I think, was that it leads to it fed into my larger addictive personality. Right. I am alone. It's it's a solitary thing that I do by myself. Yeah. Which is it's such a connective, huge thing in some ways. If you're doing it that way, which I've done as well, it could be isolating, you know, I mean unless you are taking that fuel and and going out in the world and trying to make it better in whatever way. Uh, And also around this time, I started using marijuana, which would, mm -hmm. which would also adds to that thing of like kind of maintaining the high between the epic highs. I could still get that. And so I started that boost. And so I started associating creativity with being high. And then you drink when you're not socially, when you're not doing that. So that's where I developed that alcohol, marijuana, occasional psychedelic style of living Mm. that really defined kind of the next, in a lot of ways, like my, the next, I don't know, 20 years of my life, Mm. um, that kind of cycle. And I do think, yeah, that, uh, that all, you know, it's, there's a lot of dark sides to that, a lot of dark sides to it. You know, a lot of shut doors that aren't explored a light in certain I hate to use the same metaphors all the time. A lot of light in certain rooms, but certain doors that you don't ever knock on or don't ever open up that just keep, uh, you know, piling up with detrius within that those rooms, which is your unexamined shadow. Your to to use Jungian terms, or your uh, the complexes, the neuroses that you don't address, because some of it does get processed. I feel like with psychedelics, whether you want it to or not you're going to have to face some of your shit and some of your history and some of how you define yourself. And it'll come into question if you're, if you're really doing it in a searching way. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're such brilliant, brilliantly fucked up creatures in some ways and that we can self-deceive so easily. Oh Yeah. But and I also don't want to, I want to be conscious if I'm talking too much about my story, because I now I feel like we slipped into a thing because I obviously could talk about it. <laughs> I don't want to just have it be this way. Am I, do, if I'm doing that, we should switch to talking more about your story. No, no. But I did want to say one thing in about that too, that the thing that really I thought feel like is the main problem is that with that, that way I was living was that I would also get this great sense of accomplishment in those realms. Like I'm having these incredible experiences. I'm having these revelations. I'm creating journals full of writing. I'm creating song after song on cassette, but never really making the effort to get those things out. Kind of like, I'm going to stockpile all this stuff, keep stockpiling. It's so amazing when I'm having the experience, but not, you know, and that's where I think it really, those things. The translation uh, doesn't always. Yeah. Just the social, it's, it's to stay inward and just keep, searching in an inward path and not really go outward as much as I could have. And this stunting in the social sense of stunting, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, feeling too scared kind of out there is just that weird mix of, it's almost like I did all the, I had all my experiences and all my great accomplishments and things in this internal experiences without really having as many of the external ones as I might have. Sure. Um, no, yes. I get that. And I don't know what it is about myself. I can veer that direction easily. That's a, a go-to for me if I'm not checking myself, if I'm not constantly checking in and with where I am throughout the years up to now. And 
and to different degrees of honesty, like I said, I mean, I, I didn't love myself fully until my forties really. So because of all the early trauma, like, and I didn't know that I just had self-defeating behavior. There'd be a certain point where I wouldn't allow myself to achieve too much uh, at a limit, like a breaker uh, box in my system that would be like, all right, you're getting too happy here. We got to fuck this up. You know, we got to cheat on this person. We got to burn this bridge with this person, et cetera. And I would find some kind of justification or romanticize aspect of what I was doing at the time in the moment. But, you know, it was total, if if it was in the spiritual realm, it would be spiritual bypassing, but it was like a life bypassing. But yeah, so my go-to thing is to go inward too, because I, I wasn't only child. I had weird experiences when I was young. It was safer inside. It was sometimes more interesting. Trust isn't an issue. Getting judged isn't an issue when you're exploring internal realms, except by yourself. And as an only child as well, you know, all these factors make it so that it's easy for me to want to just stay at home, to isolate, et cetera, even though my, by my uh, zodiacal nature, I'm Gemini, which is very social. So I do have, speaking of like split things, I've got that going on too. <laughs> and for someone that's completely socially uh, anxious, you know, I put myself on stage, I talk on tape do all these podcast or whatever on virtual i do all these podcasts i work with the public all the time ever since i was young it, it doesn't make sense but it's part of my uh karma i think to to get through and learn these lessons to not just keep repeating these cycles yeah i mean i have that same same thing there's the push and pull between in my life, I often think, think in terms of my art, the 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 art, the painter, drawer, mm. and the musician, comedian, podcaster yeah. are like the two push and pulls. And one is just let's just be in my studio, uh, you know, creating. Don't care if I the world even I don't even want to have any contact with the world. And then the other one is just that drive to yeah be out there with people. Yeah. The energy of that and the push and pull between the two. That's interesting. Yeah, I get it. You know, I used to be that way with writing was my internal and then music was the immediate like plug right into the uh, eternal light socket and get the jolt from that. But you've talked about psychedelics. You you didn't have a traditional religious upbringing. Neither did I. Uh, My mom was, you know, lazy, lazy Catholic. My dad uh, was Jewish but hated religion. So, you know, when I was young, they made some half-hearted attempts to bring me to one or the other. And I was even going to get a bar mitzvah, went to the some of the classes for that. And I don't remember what happened, why I never ended up doing it. You know, I just, it, it all seemed so empty and so divorced from anything that meant anything to me, the religious structure of the churches and the synagogues. You know, it was all about finger wagging and prostrating and doing these uh, arcane rituals that I had that meant nothing to me and didn't touch me in any way. And in fact, just felt very controlling. So I had no interest and thankfully didn't get too exposed to that stuff other than occasionally going with friends to their church or what have you. But luckily that freed me to, you know, at the magic, for me, magic age of 13, discover 
books about meditation, start exploring Eastern spirituality. It took a while to get back to Western mysticism to get to Western stuff because it had such a negative connotation in my mind from my upbringing. But uh, to to really dive into the the mystic traditions and mystic not in the sense of you know not about just like oh you know far out here's these out of body and chakra experiences but about about your direct connection to something beyond yourself like something that you feel and experience or don't not not having a gatekeeper between you and the uh, whatever you want to call it the mystery the infinite etc you know. It, and that always appealed to me and and more and more like i kind of weaved my way through different teachings that drew me in and went to a buddhist temple when i was in my teens i started going regularly and that made sense especially i used to test the the sensei there would i would wear like torn jeans and a punk rock t-shirt just to see if they judged me for it or you know and they never did and remember one thing just really blowing me away anyway the guy teaching there and that would give the talks the dharma talks was super kind to me and my high school friends i'd bring with me would teach us calligraphy on the side and would like kind of show us the structure of things have us be part of the uh you know uh, the chanting or the hitting of the bells and stuff and you know one of the biggest things was i remember you know really reading about the Buddha's teachings, his life, and being like, hey, you know, it says here, he's saying this in this one part, and tell me what, what that means to the guy. And he's like, you know, what do you think it means? What does it mean to you? And like, not in a like, blowing off the answer kind of way, but in a way of lights went off in my head, like, oh, this is punk rock. This is about a life philosophy. It's not a set of rules. It's not a, at least the the core teachings are not things about you know, being in the right group to go to heaven or to whatever, to judge others. It was about how do we get free in this life? How do we live the most fully and uh, clearly with internally the least suffering, but also which by turn would also just happen by nature. If you're not suffering, you're not going to be sharing the load of, you know, the hot potato of suffering, throwing it around to everyone else a little rambly there but no it's good yeah yeah i mean buddhism to me because i was very much into like in that psychedelic period i was very much into reading about other religions i had definitely a great attraction to islam reading the the quran the english version of the quran uh, the look of islamic art you know because when you look at religious art islamic on, art like yeah i mean when you're on psychedelics it's all Islamic. You this know, is the closest thing. Yeah, you go. That's the closest thing. I mean, granted, if you're looking at a you know Gothic cathedral, that also looks pretty true. Trippy. But yeah. um, but and just the you know the the simplicity of Islam, the the fact that it's you know it's you and God, and there's not really supposed to be any priesthood you know between you, and it's the it's it, it has a stripped down quality that it's a couple of times where yeah, usually on mushrooms, I would have a revelation like oh my god, maybe I am a Muslim, you know, <laughs> you know that I, this might That's be the, awesome. the one, you know, and reading uh, some you know versions of best of the Quran, you know, seeing the beauty greatest of the, hits right, of the, the writing, yeah, exactly. I was very into greatest hits in general, yeah, uh, with religions. You know, I didn't want to i didn't become some scholar I'm, I'm just looking around but well yeah and one and i said i said that joking but yeah but, but yeah 
It's true. Yeah, and, and Buddhism, but Buddha, Buddhism always was the one that I went, oh, that makes the most sense philosophically, everything I, I'm reading. I never understood, you know, and I still don't, you know, all the different schools of Buddhism. And, you know, it's such a vast world of traditions and, and it really is styles. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, when, when you get down to the basic stuff, the essential teachings, right. um, I go, yeah, I'm on board with that. And, and, you know, well, I guess we could lead up to today. Maybe is that jumping too far ahead? Uh, no, during my whole ramble session, the only thing I was trying to, to reel back to was okay. uh, originally <laughs> before I went on my little rant, I was trying to get to ask you about if any other system may like attracted you because you had talked about the wonder of nature and then and then uh, mushrooms. But I was wondering if there was any kind of formal system. You just kind of touched on it with the Well, I was Islam also very thing. much like you. Ultimately, it was always about, I want to experience myself. I don't want to take anyone's word for it. I don't want right. to like, you know, just I never could, you know, as a punk rock dude who wasn't raised in any religion, I, I don't, I had no sense that any person knew a bunch more than I did. Or if I couldn't experience it, I, I wasn't ever going to take, I'm definitely not a cult type guy. You know, I'm not right. um, somebody who wants to, you know, Be there's led. this great master who knows everything and and I'm yeah. just a peon. It's like, no, we're all, I mean, Terrence McKenna being my guru, I guess at that time, he always said, you know, following one other person, one another person telling you that they have the answers, like one aunt telling another aunt <laughs> that they have the answer, you know, yeah. there's the oh, difference great. between the most enlightened person and the least enlightened human being is not that much, you know? And so that's why, you know, going to mushrooms, I'm like, okay, now this, this is different. This is special. This is not something I expected to encounter in, in this world. And it's obviously seemed supernatural, even though it is natural. That was to it, me, yeah. I went, well, this is the direct experience and everything sort of paled in comparison to it. And so, you know, when, and that, that was maybe a uh, bit of a stumbling block in terms of stuff like meditation, you know, mm -hmm. or I, I love Terrence McKenna to this day and I'll put on his talk. Think there's like, so there's like billions of them online now. Yes. So it's fun. You can, if you're in the mood, they're all right there. And he's just so entertaining and such an amazing quick thinker. But the, the only thing that I, uh, where I definitely differ when I hear him do his talks is he was definitely very much not into meditation or any kind of system where took time to really like build up a practice because you know he was all about hey it's all right here you just know, go under to the, the, under the countdown <laughs> go, well, yeah exactly <laughs> i mean i've done yeah right and yeah so he, he um was like an anti-guru teacher for me and so i i really yeah he he had a big impact and and also just it's hard you know when you're that age i'm looking for spectacular revelations I'm not really interested in sitting and watching my thoughts. Right, right. You and know, and I, knowing that in 10, 20 years, you might make a, a you know, incremental progress with your... You when know. when that was the idea back then, that, yeah. that you were seeking enlightenment. Yeah. You know, that, that I, had, I had that misconception that enlightenment is this thing you get after sitting for 20 years. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. That that's the payoff. You're going to... That that's you're the gonna, payoff. You're going to you achieve... Get. That that's the gold ring you get at the end, the gold totally. watch, you know. And I thought, well, no, no, no. Obviously, mushrooms are the way, you know, psychedelics are the way. Because, yeah, 
you, know, you could die tomorrow. I don't have 20 years to wait in a cave or you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And nothing can compete with it. Just in terms of sheer experience. I'm like, no, this is obviously, I'd rather be stoned. If I'm going to, if I'm going to meditate, I better be baked. You know, I better have smoked oh, no. tons of, tons <laughs> of, but you know, that was my yeah. idea. Cause it's like, it's much more interesting, you know, to, to do, to be stoned and sit than it is to not be stoned. And it took me really until recently. I mean, like the last couple of years to, and this breakthrough I had around the non-dual teaching specifically of Nisargadatta Maharaj, mm-hmm. this idea that like, you know, I, I came to, and also taking ayahuasca in the past couple of years, which you know sounds like, oh, it's just more psychedelics, but it's different than taking mushrooms by yourself. Ayahuasca is its own experience and it is social. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's a big subject, huge subject. It and is. even to, to, to touch on it briefly, is all I can do in this particular podcast, but yeah. it is a different type of experience than a solitary 30 year old dude taking mushrooms. Of course. I does. I think, I think you're, that's a great point. And it is, I, I'll it's, just yeah. throw two quick little thoughts that will expand on all this on another episode, I'm sure. But what, one thing I've, that makes me hesitate occasionally when I think about such things as ayahuasca is there can be a cultish type of vibe in the communities or definitely a hierarchy and chance for and oftentimes abuse from the main uh, facilitators, usually of sexual nature, sometimes others. But like uh, I, I say that, and at the same time, in recent years, so many, so much has come out about a lot of the Buddhist teachers I admired and found out similar things. So I'm not pointing fingers. And uh, the other thought is I did it alone, <laughs> which I know you're, isn't isn't the ideal way, but it was an amazing experience as well. Different. But I mean, I when I do, even, for, even as a teenager on like any kind of plant journey, I do research. I do lots of research beforehand and give the, the respect both in the research, but also in the moment which, you know, I don't know. Anyone listening that's never done any of this stuff probably thinks we're crazy, but they demand a certain level of respect and demand a certain level of humbling yourself to these teachers, these plant teachers. So, And I do do that. And I did do that on the alone version of the ayahuasca thing I went on. I can't really even imagine doing ayahuasca. I mean, my only ayahuasca experience are quite limited. I've only had four ceremonies and I don't know how many pours that is. Uh, yeah. Right. And it's always been with this full ceremony with facilitator right. and very, very good ones. Uh, and so, yeah, I can't, I can't, it's just, that's such a part of the experience for me that I don't even know what ayahuasca would be like without mm. that, you know, it'd be a different experience. Well, yeah. I mean, cause the music's not there, although I was playing some of the, uh, Icaros, however you say yeah, it. Icaros. Uh, yeah, as Songs. I was doing it. And yeah. things of, of trying to honor the experience as a solo participant. But uh, yeah, no, I totally get that. Uh, well, one thing thought. that should be said too about ayahuasca is that, uh, you know, taking a mushroom, mushrooms are just things that grow. So there's no tradition that, right. you know, with ayahuasca, it's very strongly a tradition because it is a thing that is brewed. And it's so the tradition has always been to do it in the group, 
with the person who brewed it and the so it has a tradition around it that is different than say just a plant that you pick you know like a like a mushroom so that's part of the reason why yeah i think the, the ceremony aspect of it that's there's a reason why that's how it's done in the amazon you know right no i right. get that yeah i've got lots of swirling questions and thoughts around the positive and and, and questionable not questionable of the experience and of the tradition but of the spiritual tourism of it and things like yeah. that, that, that happens. But yeah. Yeah. That's no, a big, that's a whole, whole huge subject huge that we will, we will dedicate we don't entire need... <laughs> episodes yeah, to. Yeah, yeah exactly. for sure. Yeah. It's uh and I've recently heard some really great, great people talking about it that I want to have as guests because we will have guests okay. in the future. Yes. Yeah. Yes, thank you for saying <laughs> yeah, that's, that. That will this be is, a part of this, this is, conversation. You know, we might, you know, alternate between just the two of us talking and having guests and we'll see how that's going to be done in terms yeah. of how we do this. But yeah, and that is, that's a massive subject that I really want to explore in depth on psychedelics yeah, in general. I mean, it it deserves its own episode, if, sure. if, if not multiple over time. For sure. Yeah. So what I was saying about bringing it to now you know, for me, like I look back and I think, you know, I dabbled in meditation here and there throughout my life, but really never developed a practice until really the last couple of years. And it's changed my life. Mm. It really has changed my life. It's a big part of it. Um, this modern age of mine, uh, this, this, what do you call it? The uh, current era that I'm living in, I, I define it. Yeah. The practice of meditation is kind of central to the transformation that I've been through. I feel happier now than I've ever been in my life by far. The, all those torments and stuff that I did to find, like I've described, they're just, I have a different relation to all those questions and problems just because I, I can recognize thoughts for what they are. Mm -hmm. And I don't identify fully with whatever thought clusters and things come my way. And that was the torment of my life for all those years, really. I mean, and for a huge portion of the population, I would say everybody <laughs> at different times, it's, you know, what's that? There's some book even called you are not your thoughts, you know, uh, because we're not, we've run into trouble when we identify with them as when we own them, when we create story around the thoughts. And again, I'm not a teacher. I'm just me, but you know, so I'm reiterating things that either I've heard or that I've experienced and filtered. So, you know, yeah, they're, they're weather. It's weather that's happening. Yes. Yeah, they come, they go, recognizing them. And that the mind, you know, what is the mind? Like, like we talk about, you know, sometimes, and this is where my non-dual practice or whatever you want to call it, mindfulness, it's really just recognizing, I mean, it's just, it's centered. And this is where I have to be. I have to pause and kind of gather my thoughts because this is where I can get sounding nuts. Okay. Oh, or or let's uh, get into that. Um incoherent. No, I I highly doubt that from my side from you know what I know of you and what I've heard of your journey so far and what I see of who you are now uh of what I know of you and within reason and within uh what you're comfortable with. What is yes. your practice? Well, I'll keep it brief. And I'm going to speak in a very deliberate way. 
because I want to avoid that um, jumping around thing that can happen or speaking in loops. And to put it in the simplest way, I think there's two things that have been the center of this shift that I have felt because I have felt a shift in my life. I, I feel it every day. There's a difference in my old way of living and my current way. And I feel like it's an it's a permanent shift that has happened. I, that's my experience. I experience it every single day of my life. And it's the result of two things. This process of, I spent basically like a year or two just going over the non-dual teachings of Nisargadatta Maharaj. Finally taking his words and going, and I can explain who he is. It's a person who died in like the early 80s. He was a teacher from India who wasn't part of any particular, uh, he wasn't a religious figure. He was just a person who opened his a room above his house up for people who wanted to come and ask him questions about his understanding of reality, essentially. But he wasn't a proselytizer, wasn't somebody who traveled the land, didn't take any money for what he offered. It's part of a tradition of Advaita Vedanta people. Was his understanding or awakening early and sudden? Was it a pra- was did he have his own type of practice? Well, he had a teacher who essentially, you know, told him to like I, this would be a place where I would I would probably want to reference like the exact thing that his teacher told him, but it was essentially you know, to look at the mind. Now this, now this is where I sound, okay, I'm jumping around. <laughs> okay, sorry. Because no, Nisargadatta, is, so that's like a subject too that I, I would want to go into like prepare. In oh, essentially, okay. yeah, he, he was, a, he was a, in my mind, like a person who had great, great understanding and a great ability to speak very, very simply and cut cut to the chase so, so well. And I don't know how I encountered his teachings. I, somehow I got the book, I Am That. It's a classic. Uh, and the book, Seeds of Consciousness, two books that are just um, people collected the conversations he had with people that would come and they put them in book form. So they're translated you know, from the language he speaks in India and that most of these questioners, some of the questioners were uh, from the West. And so he had a translator too. So there's a translation thing, but you know, they're, they're legit translations. So you're getting his words. Mm. Um, most of these took place. The recorded ones took place in the sixties, seventies, seventies and eighties and nothing mystical. Just look at life. What is, what is reality? What do you actually see? What is the actual experience of living? For years, I would look through it and, and it didn't make any sense to me. I was like, okay, this is interesting. It seems true, but it doesn't affect me. It doesn't change my life. I don't know how to implement any of this, but it seemed true. And it wasn't until, yeah, like a couple of years ago when I had a major depression, which I've always had these, I've always had depression. It's been a major part of my life. Um, you take medication for? I, I have at times. I don't anymore. Uh-huh. And I haven't for, I don't know, four or five years. But at one point I just, I I came out of that depression and I was like, this has to change. I don't want to do this anymore. I, I, this is not a thing I want to be doing all my life. I don't want to always be going to this total crisis where the walls close in and the world's coming to an end. And, uh, you know, I was like, no, there has to be a better way. And, you know, just, and suicidal 
feelings. You know, I was like, there has to be a way th- that I can actually abandon this, this cycle. And so I just, I thought, you know, I'm just going to look at this Nisargadatta stuff and actually live it. And by living it, I just meant understand and really turn around like what he's saying and, and actually turn it over in my mind that it breaks through and, and changes me in some way. So I started doing that. I started looking at my my circumstance and really, really looking at it. And what I would find is deathless, never born. You know, these concepts like the past is always a thought in my mind, all the regret, always a thought that happens now, the future, all the fear, always a thought in my mind, always a concept that I'm thinking now. Now, a concept in my mind. There's no place where it starts or ends. That's the situation we're actually in. That's the true reality of my situation. So it's all thoughts, right, that are tormenting me. Well, thoughts and feelings, I would add in. I noticed your language is very mental and thought-based, which is huge and the hugest trap we have, I think. But also feelings like I notice, I know from myself, I try to avoid when I start feeling a certain way. If I don't address it, I find that I self-medicate in any number of ways, not usually any substance, but food. When you're talking about feelings, are you talking about bodily sensations or? Yes, bodily sensations. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, feelings could be thoughts as well. And and associated, of course, probably the, the closer you look associated with either past programming of things that happened to you or or thoughts you know yes. like you said maybe of the future or whatever anxiety yeah. etc oh yeah feelings and thoughts they travel together and sensations and thoughts maybe is right. the way to put it they travel together yeah of course one makes the other one uh they it's a conversation between the two absolutely but sensations and thoughts noticing that they come and go mm-hmm. that no no thought or sensation is permanent they don't know that it's always coming and going and so this is what led me to i mean with encouragement of a friend who said to a friend of mine my my ex-wife star she said you know that of all the things she's done in her life meditation has been the one thing that's the most transformative and helpful and it was when she said that to me i thought okay that's a that's a sign you know that like i should take that seriously and actually, if I'm serious about this work I'm doing, contemplating these things and turning over these, looking at these uh, teachings until they actually make sense to me, until I actually experience them, then I should also be doing the meditation. Because if I'm looking at this mind complex, the only way to really get a handle on it is to sit and observe it, you know? And so that's what I started doing. And that, that I don't have any you know meditation technique other than sitting and observing thoughts and noticing that they're thoughts and then saying maybe the word thought, you know, like, and then just watching it, the mind quote unquote, do its thing. And that one practice of just watching the, the mind do its thing. You start to notice, Oh, even the mind quote unquote is an idea itself. There is no mind. When you look for the mind, where is it? Yeah. You can't actually find it. Right. And, and like, to, to repeat something I saw in the last one, I mean, what's noticing the mind? Yeah. Right. And then to relax into that, it's the first time in my life where I, 
I actually seem to get, I don't know, some peace, you know, this thought of, oh, I don't have to figure out the world. I don't have to understand everything, figure out the future, what it's going to be, make peace with the past, whatever. Just see them for what they are. Just be. And that that practice of doing that day in, day out, it's changed my, um, you know, all the old thoughts come up. Yeah. But now I always have a voice that's, that says to me, their thoughts, <laughs> you know, I've trained myself to, to notice that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And that change, that one thing changes everything. That's so interesting. And I totally relate in many ways with my own practice, albeit, uh, is, uh, lazy and, and crippled as it sometimes is. I get through periods where I'm daily really good and good, you know, see there's a judgment, but where I'm practicing daily and then periods where, oh, I feel great. It I, All this practice is really starting to pay off. What's the next thing, thing on the agenda? Not practice. Oh, I don't have time this day or this week because this is going on. I'll get back to it. And, you know, the thing that gives you the most grounding, the most clarity, the most true, real, like you said, peace, happiness, uh, is something that you somehow all of a sudden don't have time for. <laughs> it, it happens all the time. But noticing the thoughts made me think of, oh, yeah, and recognizing them and cha- that changes the game. Made me think of, uh, I have a vivid dream life and I can easily relate that to when you become lucid in your dreams, when I do, and it, it's very, it's it's not like I have full nights of being awake in my dream. It's more like moments and times in those dreams. But when you are, when you're all of a sudden like, oh, wait, this is that dream where this usually happens. Why am I doing that? Let's do something different. Boom. The whole dream changes, the whole tone, the whole, everything about it changes into a whole different scenario because you've kind of cracked the code. Um, You bringing up dreams is just, yeah. Dreams are a huge part of my life too and have been Yes. I mean, my twenties, there's so many epic dreams and and periods of dreaming that I've had where um, ones that lucid, definitely a lot of lucid dreaming, but also just power dreams of incredible vividness and epic recall. Just as uh, that'd be the closest to the psychedelic experience that I've had of absolutely revelatory things where I've woken up, you know, in tears, sure. having experienced these things that I just can't even the humor, the beauty, the, yeah, that's been all throughout my life. I go through periods where, where of intense dreaming. Yeah. And that's such a gift. There's definitely, uh, again, this, another topic we can make a whole show of and not in the, uh, <laughs> uh, God, there's a boat to spill song that has a funny line about, uh, no one wants to know, uh, you know, everyone thinks their dream is really yeah. interesting, but no one wants to hear it. Kind of lyric is funny, right. but uh, you know, going into like, well, then this happened. You know, without yeah. that kind of thing. But there's levels. There, there's definitely different types of dreams. Oh yeah, and it's not just your brain processing information. There are message dreams. There's teaching dreams. There's connection to uh, to other living and non living people dreams. Oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 a whole vast field. There's dreams that are way more vivid and real to me than certain days or time periods of waking life. Yeah. And noticing too, another thing that I, I do a lot these days is noticing, thinking I, a lot of 
I, I approach waking life, whatever you call this, as dream, a dream as well. Oh, it is. Absolutely. That's one thing. One of the kernels of every mystic tradition that's that's there, every single one that I can think of, and I've I've explored or at least touched on nearly a dozen at least of, of investigating. And they there's always one of the cornerstones is this world is, you know, it's the, the dichotomy of like this world is not real. It's illusion. We're only in this moment, but this world itself, this, you know, what we think is reality, we're just you know, we can go many places with this part of the conversation, but just just that we're experiencing what we think is the world, but we're experiencing our filters more than the world itself. Yeah, absolutely. And when the world, uh, or whatever you want to call it, that the, the scene in this world appears really dreamlike occasionally. Like there's like I was in Oakland recently, and I went for a walk with my friends. And that one walk around Lake Merritt, you know, there's times where you you have an experience and you come home and and you if you were to tell it to somebody as a dream, like I had this dream last uh, night. Yeah, we're walking yeah. around this lake and there's this guy who sticks his head out of a, from under a staircase, and then there were these hippies, but they weren't really hippies. They were kind of you know, and you just describe a scene. Yeah. It just sounds like something just straight out of a dream. This happened, then that happened, and just noticing the dreamlike quality of life you would go it's indistinguishable right oh that's definitely true it blows me away because you can when you're not careful and you're just reacting to life when i am i i I, tr- I like to try to really take ownership of saying something rather than putting this uh big you out there because it's it's just my experience so when i am just kind of going through my days trying to get through one thing to the other and take care of everything. It's easy to just feel, you know, you, there's those days that just, what did I do today? It was just this ball of stress, hamster wheel. And then other days, like you, like you mentioned, where, where space opens up, where time slows down, where things become more malleable and, and the, the veil between this and the deeper mystery becomes thinner. And yeah. it, it, it it is a, it, it's not just by happenstance that we're not victims. You know, that's the biggest, one of the biggest things. Uh, you know, we have a choice in what we experience. We're going to experience pain. That's part of the world. That's how we learn. If, if life was just easy from birth to death, like there's no point. This world is to teach us to uh, heal, to evolve, to connect, in my view. And you can't do that without hurting yourself without having some pain happen along the way and figuring out, oh, that didn't work. What would work? What's going to heal this? What's going to, what's going to change, whether it's a per- interpersonal or whether it's community or whether it's societal, whether it's like, you know, you touched on environment huge in our last conversation. So, yeah. I think that also leads to the question, the thing that uh, was a uh, subject of a great, great deal of study for me was the difference between suffering and pain and oh, yeah. all, all the writing and ideas about that that I've read. I read a fantastic article in Psychology Today that summed up those things that really hit home for me when I was in a time of great transition and what, what which I was talking about earlier, that, that time where I was like, I am done doing this depression thing. 
when I, I read this article about the difference between suffering and pain, psychology today, just a little article, not too big, but it, it got so to the end. Maybe we could do a whole episode about this article. I'd like to, sure. you know, that's a way we could, uh, you know, do Put a framework stru- structure an episode, yeah. talk about one little piece, you know, um, this oh, one would sure. be a good one for me, uh, to, to throw in the hat. I would like to throw it in the hat. And it, and he just, and he just talked the author, I can't even remember his name right now, but he, yeah, talked about how, you know, pain is a part of life. Pain signals us where yeah. attention needs to go, you know, whether it's physical pain telling us to deal with a medical issue, um, psychological pain telling us to deal with some aspect of our life. And that is part of life. Suffering, on the other hand, is when you don't just deal with the pain, but you put a whole story around it. You try to numb it. You try to put it off. You know, all the mechanic, all the things around it, the whole complex resistance, resistance, fear, narrative. Yeah. What if it continues? What if this is, you know, whatever. And he talks about, you know, if you don't deal with the, with the pain, eventually you can develop a sort of all over suffering where it's not a suffering connected just to one specific pain, but it becomes a kind of full ache of, of self, like a self ache. Wow. You know, and that, and that was what resonated with me. I went, that's what I've been living like all my life. You know, that's been the thing is, is, and it, and I think a big part of it was drugs are marijuana and alcohol, all those years using them and other tactics of avoidance or avoidance numbing or like medication uh, and even soothing. depression. Yeah. Even depression, I feel sure. like was a thing where you numb out, you get a isolated, you get numb. Yeah. You, you, it's a form of protection can be not, mm. not in all cases. I, I don't speak, I don't pretend to know about all the forms of depression, chemical otherwise, but mm. I do think, you know, kicking the can down the road, using tactics to avoid it builds that that larger form of suffering that that kind of self ache and that was a thing that i think yeah i just kind of thought well that's the best you can do you know why wouldn't you seek some relief or some i don't know a break from the problems of life why wouldn't you deserve that it's the best you can do life is kind of miserable so you get your little kicks wherever you can as long right. as you're not hurting anybody or killing yourself necessarily and that's a that's a big thing that a lot of people do and that i've done as far as the deserve word like hey i just went through all this stuff i deserve whatever yeah kind treat. Of treat yeah whatever right. that is yeah yeah and so that difference between you know i, I was like yeah you know i look at my life it's like dude i've had very, very little problems, you know, outside of me, the, the world has not been mean to me really, you know, um, it's all been pretty good. I've had great health all my life physically, you know, been spared any real problems outwardly. Yeah. And yet yeah. inwardly, oh my God, I used to sometimes look, I'd, I'd see somebody happy in the world, like, in a you know, somebody in a wheelchair with like some obvious, you know, really bad problem physically, or really what I would see as like a very difficult situation. And I'd see them laughing, you know, and talking to somebody and yeah. I'd be like, and I would think to myself, that person with all their problems is so much happier than I am. Why is that? You know, like, mm-hmm. how is it that I, maybe this sounds bad, but I would, you know, that was the thing that would occur to me from time to time. Yeah. You know, like I couldn't be a less happy person. Why the fuck is that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, couldn't couldn't see it i couldn't figure it out 
and now I feel like I actually have a handle on what that is, you know, and that's because of this. Yeah. Change, well, you know? and you've kind of got uh, into the wiring of it more than just the surface batting something away or avoiding the thing right. for the moment and it coming yeah. back. Although it's important, I think, like we've touched on earlier to to acknowledge we're not done, you know. Oh, not even. We're going to have our loved ones die. We're, we might have medical things. We might have, we're going to have some kind of hardships here and there. Things are going to happen. And we might not react perfectly, even with our practices. We're going to have things we need to assess and be like, okay, that didn't work. <laughs> you know, now what? But the tools which you know for you was the teachings of the the one uh one pointedness a non-duality yeah non-duality and for me it's been mostly buddhism other things as well i mean even some authors like which again a whole other topic but even just authors like philip k dick and uh robert anton wilson like had huge life-changing impact on me even the writing of at one point of timothy leary and much less the beat authors when you're a teen and stuff. But yeah, I, the main thing I want to add on to that is just, you know, thank God you've got from your journey from depression to where you are now, what happens, God forbid, tomorrow you feel those same uh, familiar beginnings that, however, the depression usually starts for you. Well, that's the thing is nothing's changed in that respect. Those things, they come. I've had many times where yeah, the overwhelming, uh, well, it's not overwhelming. That's the thing is, but uh -huh. when that, that storm cloud, those storm clouds, very recognizable, I see them coming. I know the feeling I see the sparks. It used to always be like, that's my reality. This is mm -hmm. I mean, depression always came packaged with this sense of you're back to the real deal. This is right, what it right. actually is. All that bullshit. You were you dreaming were, before you were trying. Yeah. Now <laughs> we're back to reality. You know, this is the, you're looking at the the facts now. Uh -huh. Now it's like, there's always, I've just programmed myself to have a voice that says, these are thoughts. You know, these are thoughts. They come, they go. It's not the be all and end all. It's not suddenly this is the real deal. It's like, they're all made of thoughts, the yeah. good ones, the bad ones. And it's sure. not even, and it's also about not clinging to the good times. Or no, of the, course. The well, that's thoughts. a huge Buddhist concept is the non-attachment. Yeah, just observe them for what they are. They come and go. They take different shapes. They have different colors. And not to be like, those are the good ones and those are the bad right. ones. And the same thing with experiences. You know, I'm not yes. out there chasing yeah. experiences. Like, I don't want to do mushrooms every day to try and always be, I don't uh -huh. want to have some crazy life, you know, where I'm on an adventure all the time. And because you know, in the old way Burning of thinking, day. <laughs> yeah, in the old way of thinking, also, I was so full of envy, you know, um, because my attitude was like, well, a good life is one full of adventure and fun and going around having a bunch of great experiences and not boring ones or whatever. You know, it was all, this whole idea I had about like there was a hierarchy of happiness and and I'm down towards the bottom and I'm trying to climb up. Hopefully I can take some people with me, but you know, there's all these other people that seem to be way happier and life's unfair, etc. But getting out of that whole mode of, of thinking and just taking life as it's just what it is. You can judge it. You can tell a story about it. But the fact is these thoughts, they're just, they just are what they are. And the more neutral you are towards them, the more just unattached 
mm-hmm. to them, suddenly it's like, oh, that's actual freedom. You know, I thought I was always under the impression that I need to perfect reality. I need to master this thing before I can feel that peace. Mm-hmm. And now I say, no, 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 it's the opposite. Get the peace by yeah. understanding mm-hmm. this mental process, then work towards the things you want, you know, the way you want to see that reality around you, but do it from a place of freedom. Right. right. I always had, I always had it backwards. I thought, no, master reality and then the good times will come. Mm. You know, yeah. take enough mushrooms, have enough things, be famous, have money. You know, once I get those things, then everything's going to be good. That's like, so interesting. And that's a very Western, not you and your thoughts, but that concept is so Western. And I mean, not only Western, but very prevalent in the West of like, oh, if you achieve this, you might be able to reach this, you'll get this prize. And then if you achieve that, you might be able to get in at this, this whole like higher, like you said, hierarchy, this whole always something right just out of reach. You, you're keeping the carrot like way far ahead of you. You're never going to, it's never going to happen. Even if you have a strong spiritual practice and you keep thinking, oh, I'm waiting for that breakthrough. I'm waiting for that enlightenment. I'm waiting right. for <clears throat> whatever experience. You're not really getting the teaching. You're not living the teaching. Right. Yeah. And the um, the non-dual, you know, one of the things that I really got from Nisargadatta's teaching, Ramana Maharshi, was just that basic thing right there that like, if you place God outside of yourself, you say God is over there and I'm over here, that's duality. You know, yes. that's that. And, and the enlightenment is coming. Or for me, often I, I conceived of the enlightenment as death. Death will come mm-hmm. someday. And many people put the happiness after death. You go to heaven when you die. You know, the prize is coming. You'll be reunited with uh, the, the good stuff when you die. Cherry, it's a thing ahead sorry. of you. Yeah. Like, all you got to do is go, Dude, it's all here. This is the whole package. This exactly as it is without the judgment and the story. There's nothing outside of it. There's absolutely nothing outside of it. And that was something that, man, I spent so much time rooting myself in that with thoughts, you know, going, where does all these other things exist? Where are they? Always in the mind. It's always Mm -hmm. a thought. And when you are actually in the thing, it's like, well, you're doing it. This is it. It's, It's complete. Absolute perfection is here and now. Yeah, even when it doesn't present that way. Right. You might later. I'm always reminding myself that, okay, this doesn't seem like an ideal situation per se, some moment. And then later on, oh, that needed to be there or the chain would have been uh, broken at that point. I wouldn't have been able to cross or that, that link of the bridge would have been gone so you wouldn't be able to get to where you are without that connecting to the next moment connecting to the in in it without it being like i said a achievement thing it's funny right now i'm feeling uh that fear that i've <laughs> been uh like I knew dominating <laughs> and being completely uh yeah scattered sounding and all over the place no no it's been circuitous but we've touched on a lot of interesting uh areas i think it's been good and I totally accept that. I'm just, you know, yeah. saying like, that's the thing. What right. is, what's the future hold, uh, you know? So did we figure life out in this episode? I think so. 
I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, in some way, yes, actually. I mean, yeah. the simplest thing is like, yeah, watch the mind, watch what it does. Realize that even it isn't a thing. Yeah. I mean, I noticed that. And again, I see it as catching myself, like I'll catch myself starting to, to judge a situation, judge a person, judge a, yeah, just a situation as being like, oh, I want to get past this to the next yes. moment or get through this or avoid this. Right. I The voice in my head at that moment's like, God damn it, Brian, you know, this is part of the game. And it's like that you're just creating resistance. You're not uh, in the moment. You're trying to escape it. You know, I have this internal dialogue that's like, fuck, I know. Stop reminding me. Okay. Okay. And, and but it's good because it, it totally helps. It's, it's, kind of frustrating because you want to to have that stream of a of emotion of reaction of like no i'm i should be validated for you know i this injustice happened or this you know that person was a this or that but no you know it, it's it's all fodder for uh or is the what is the, the ron das thing it's all grist for the mill you know yeah i mean like i said in my life i'm amazed almost well yeah every day i mean really every day i am i am so it makes it gives me so much happiness when i get in these places i mean just today the thing that's in my mind right now is i was at a formal wear uh place because i'm going to a wedding this weekend mm. i don't have a suit you know mm. i don't own a suit and i'm at this place and i waited i put it off because i didn't want to deal with it so right. i put it off till right before the wedding and i was there today you know, feeling that feel not an intense feeling, but a, but a pretty strong feeling of like, Jason, why would you wait till the last minute? You knew you were <laughs> going to do this. Why didn't you just do it? You know, then it's so stupid. I don't want to wear this suit. <laughs> I feel I'm. Yeah. Why why don't I own a suit? If I was a real person, I would have a real adult. I would have. I would have suits. You know, <laughs> uh, it's just so pathetic. Well, just all bad stuff. You know. Sure. You know, in the old days, yeah, that would have been. This is the difference between then and now that post this, whatever you want to call it, realization. In the old days, that it's all part of the depression thing. You know, you fucking idiot. Everything's so mm -hmm. pointless. God damn it. I just want to crawl into a hole. You're pathetic. There's no answer. Life is so goddamn fucked and hard. And you're just not a, you're not, well, a, would you carry that? You're you not a carry functioning. That, yeah. Yeah, it was just all part of the the, the slide because because it also builds, you know. It's like the thing that happened two days ago, and then this, yep. and the thing that happened. You start at it, you connecting it all it's together. All as one part of, the, exactly. It's all this image of you, me. I'm talking about, mm -hmm. you know, as a failure, a bad person, a incompetent, uh, whatever. Life is, and then it goes to the you know outward. Life is like this. It's all so bad, mm -hmm. and blah blah blah. It. It's it's all about you know momentum snowballing you know that's yeah. that's and that's where depression these these real drops you know happen and then that's why you gotta figure out ways to buoy and you know this whole work all the work that goes into that and what happens nowadays I can laugh at it I can say I can forgive myself I can see that yeah, yeah okay well you know yeah maybe you could have done it better earlier you know being mad about my whole life because I, I don't have a suit. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. You know, uh -huh. that's just, you know, who cares? But, you know, next time you're in a situation like this, yeah, take care of it two weeks before the thing. Don't wait till the last minute. And also, what if it all works out? 
while I'm standing at this, the other possibility is maybe it'll all work out. And, and if I get all upset right now, this is before the person working there worked with me, uh-huh. you know, I'm anticipating what's going to happen. I yeah. won't be able to find anything. And if I do, it'll be so expensive and ill fitting. And I'm so, you know, but I also didn't do that. I didn't do the whole you didn't spin um, off. No, I just went, well, you know, the other thing is before you get all upset about it, what if it all works out? Yeah. Yep. You know, yeah. Do it differently. And you know what happened? It's exactly what happened. Uh-huh. You know, she she's like, oh, well, we could do this. You could do that. Here's here's a, this thing. Oh, well, that fits. And that fits. Oh, that looks pretty good. You don't have to rent anything. Just buy that. It's like yeah. totally affordable, looked uh-huh. fine. And I was like, oh, and I was like, well, you know, you have to fam- hem the bottom of the pants. How long will that take? She's like, we'll have it tomorrow morning. And that's the example of if You're I like, had that's spent, it? What? I, it was all fine. Everything was fine. Yeah. You're like, and give it's me not something a- to, to, to <laughs> complain about, please. <laughs> and I and I do that kind of thing all the time now where I think I'm not going to go into some spiral right now because I don't even know if that's, and then I don't even know if that's, well, for one thing, doesn't change anything. Yeah. And secondly, like, what if it all works out? And and so often it does. And I think, you know, if I had spent all this time worrying about it and being all bent out of shape, all of that would have just been totally unnecessary suffering, Yeah. you know? the pain of not having a suit or whatever, the pain of, of it, this uncertainty. It might, you might've projected that feeling to the person helping you. 100%. You might've like, it might've caused actually like, totally. uh, you know, a bad situation. And that's something that I think everyone at some point in their life has done. I know I have, and I don't anymore, which thank God, but I totally got out of the habit of having full long conversations with people only in your head oh yeah and just getting so worked up about this thing that happened only in your head (laughs) yeah totally totally replaying things all that stuff it's just just the ability to see them all for what they are and have that be a it's just through training programming you know to recognize those things and have that freedom i was thinking it just popped into my mind this quote somebody said something i don't know who it was they they described what freedom is it's the space between stimulus and reaction Mm. you know something happens and then that little space that you have and it's achieved through mindfulness in my experience the ability to have something happen and go i don't have to just instantly boom yeah a thought comes i don't have to just go with it a an experience happens i don't have to just go with it some somebody does something i don't have to just follow that thing no matter what i have that little window where i can just be present accept look at it and then act and that is and you know i don't know who said it but the idea that in that little space is freedom and i feel like it's meditating and keeping and maintaining the meditative mind off the pillow out in the world having it be a constant practice that that's the path of freedom. That is the path of, uh, yeah, that space. You're you're training that space. You're widening that space and giving yourself that freedom. And man, if that's not the most powerful thing a person can have, I don't know what is. Yeah, 100%. I would mirror what your uh, ex-wife said, you know, meditation, if not the, is one of the biggest things that has influenced and colored my life in the best possible way you know i don't know how many times at jobs or wherever folks are always like 
oh, you're so even keeled. It's like, no, actually I'm not, but I, <laughs> I've learned how to work with my mind and not just whatever, not react. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's great when like, I recognize myself as like, I'm the worst when it comes <laughs> yeah. to that stuff. I'm not yeah. even like slightly uh, inclined to be this way. Yeah. I think it was Pema Chodron in one of her books I was reading that I read off and on all the time. Uh, she talked about like her own journey where she was saying she was so filled with rage and she was so filled with jealousy and anger and all that stuff. And she thought, you know, if I can do it with the way I am, Anybody. Then it shows that anybody can. <laughs> yeah. And that is very much my my perspective with this. And so if I sound disjointed and all fucking confused and weird and whatever, it's like, yeah, you're seeing like how my mind works. I don't know if I come <laughs> across that way. But ultimately, I, I think, you know, I see this change that has happened in my life that happens, like I said, on a day to day basis, like with that little thing at the formal wear store. Mm -hmm. Good example. You know, that is that's the change. That is the change right there. And seeing that every single day in little in different situations, um, it makes me go, that's something, if anything I say or share in this podcast or that we can talk about and come up with helps another person discover and implement that in their lives. Or find the, their version of that. Yeah. Whatever if I can for. just help, if I can be a little voice of encouragement, because you never know where it comes from. It's like sure. we we all get them all over the place. And oh my god! Sometimes they land, sometimes they don't. I've got I've had the most profound things, like not only, but I've had moments like where you're so primed for that moment that some stupid, terribly written line in a sitcom will totally be like, "That's it," and it will unlock something in my brain that you know that totally, I guess, crystallizes something that's been spinning around, you know, like a a ball bearing rolling around my brain waiting to find purchase. And that's the thing that causes it to uh, click into place. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I know it could be anywhere. And that's part of the beauty of life. And I'm willing to risk being annoying and confusing right. and, and putting out some thing that's not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it's like, we're, that's we're... the intention. The intention is so, I mean, I can say intention is so fucking good. You know, that's what I'm coming from. Because it's not about me. It's like, man, I don't care if I look like a fool doing this. Exactly. And and I just assume that I am going to look like a fool, so I don't care anymore. There was a a quote, I always remember a, a few of them, but a Chuck Dukowski talking to Henry Rollins and that when Rollins was first in Black Flag. And one of them that I really liked was when he forced Rollins to do acid with him. Rollins was like, why? He's like, because it'll make you less of an asshole. And, you know, that's what I feel like my, pra all my practices have, if anything done, just made me a little less of an asshole, you know, and that, that's a, that's a win. And it's it, much more than that. I, I'm being a little facetious and putting it that bluntly, but you know, some days it does feel that way. Like, Hey, I could have been much worse today if I didn't have any practice, Lord help everyone around me, you know, in myself. So absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, uh, what was something I heard too, that was like, if you're working to make yourself happy, like to towards this liberation, you're doing like what God could possibly like, what more sincere form of worship could there be for, mm -hmm. you know, God mm -hmm. than seeking that liberation and then sharing it, you know, and it, yeah. seeking I mean, it that's, for yourself. that's the, that's the essential 
part too. It's not just self liberation. It's not just the only reason you liberate yourself. Yeah. You know, it's like I liberate, I want to liberate myself so that I can be a force of liberation. Cause if I'm not, if I'm fucking like I used to be so often, you know, just in this web of self seeking, self medicating stuff, it's like, that was the frustration of my life for all those years, you know, it was like, how can I be this guy singing about universal love and, you know, enlightenment and peace if I'm like this total ball of neurosis, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, it's a basic idea, the idea of like heal yourself and then, you know, you can heal others. And so this process of healing, liberating, whatever you want to call it, uh, myself being grounded in this eternal, uh, deathless, never born reality you know, that's the foundation of all the work I want to do in this world, you know? Um, yeah. Share the thing, the gift, the beauty of it. Yeah. What you were just saying, like, I'm not always going to bring things to Buddhism, but again, uh, in the Buddhist world, what really drew me as well is that the whole concept of the Bodhisattva who reaches a point of, a, you know, a hair breath away from enlightenment, but chooses to stay in the world, stay in the world of suffering until everybody else gets enlightened, then they will go last. You know, that's so beautiful to me. And and there's something like, again, I, I can draw parallels to the, the punk rock spirit touched me the most, had that same impulse, if not putting it exactly in those terms, of course. So, yeah, and I think we did, uh, I think we did good. We, we, as with our previous conversation on your show, we covered a lot of ground. It will uh, do a little bit of editing, clean it up just a little, tidy it up, put it in its formal wear so we can uh, get it out into the world. And yeah, I look forward to taking this journey with you, Jason. I can't wait to draw others into the conversation as well. That's exciting to even think about, like even our, you know. Absolutely. I I am very excited about it. You know, my own podcast, Trigger at the Podcast, it's something of a journal of my life, mm-hmm. you know, and I think this will have that quality. It can't help but have that quality as well. And to do it with you and have there be a the, the collaborative aspect of it. You know, that's one of the things that I want mo- more and more in my life uh, that I seek a lot is more collaboration, less of this solo do I've always had a tendency, like I've talked about, yeah. I think, you know, to want to do music solo, do art solo, do all these comedy solo, all these solo pursuits. And uh, so I'm really excited about doing a podcast that's not a solo podcast. Right. It's not a collaborative just the Traeger effort. joint. No, it's great. <laughs> no, it, and it, I, I appreciate you having the faith and full heartedness to, uh, to trust me. Sure. Curiosity to trust me with, uh, like I said, taking the journey with you because there's so many top. We've just barely skimmed the, the surface of the water that goes deep with all this stuff. And that's the thing with this episode is, you know, we covered so much ground. I hope, you know, my worry, my anxiety, my self-criticism right now is thinking, oh, people are going to think this is like two dudes in, in their dorm room having their <laughs> totally. late night after the party conversation. And <laughs> hey, totally. so be it. I don't think it is. This is the stuff that people have talked about for centuries and millennia. So you no, know, we're th- pushing into the very most important stuff of existence. Right. How to be a human being, how to not be a human being, whatever you want to call it, you know, how to, how to, um, how to know, successfully it, be a human being. Is it self? Yeah. Is it self-improvement or is it, um, negation of the self getting rid of the self? You know, that's mm-hmm. a question, 
you know, what are we doing? But it's like, no, it's, it's the most important thing. It's, it's literally, I mean, by far the, the thing I am most dedicated to in my life is yeah. this Me thing. too. All my podcasts, which, you know, I, I've just gone crazy in recent years since I haven't been doing as much music, three other podcasts, all of them, there's one element of all of them where it's just me hoping to be able to get into these subjects with, with mm -hmm. other folks, especially yeah. folks whose music's touched me or whose ideas have touched me, et cetera. Like, I want nothing more than to discuss and converse about these things and grow further and get deeper into the mystery. And, you know, hopefully this podcast will help anyone else do the same. All we can hope. Yeah. Action right. now. What'd you say? I said action now. Action now. We, we did it, you know? We, we did, did it. We didn't just think about it. Yes. Took action. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, the 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 old uh flip side phrase I always remember, you know, be more than a witness, you know. Be more talk minus action equals zero. DOA. Yes. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could keep going. <laughs> we could keep we uh, could keep chucking them back, them back and forth. I know. Yeah, I think the messy first episode is good and I look forward to um all the messy future episodes.